Shalom, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. We believe the Torah is relevant for our lives today, God's teachings and instructions. You may very well be part of the first generation to be born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and have the Torah, a Christian with Torah. Join us as we honor the living God through the study of His Word, topical conversations, and interviews with special guests. Please welcome our hosts, Pastor Nick Plummer and Ryan Cabrera. Shalom, everybody, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. I'm here in Studio B with Pastor Nick Plummer. Hey, Pastor Nick. It's good to be here. It is good to be here. I'll tell you what. So good. I don't know if you realize this, the moment that is upon us, but this is the last episode of season five. It took us a year and a half. This is a year and a half. <laughs> this is, we are, we are going to study today the last verses in the book of Matthew and some very, very critical testimony, right? We're going to get some critical events today. Yeah, we are. Critical for our faith, which is important. So before we get into that, thank you guys for being here. If this is your first time, uh, welcome. Uh, if you are not already subscribed to our channel, please go ahead and subscribe, uh, whether you're on the podcast app or you're watching on YouTube or some other place like that, and ring the notification bell. If you have been here before, go ahead and share this episode with others. This is an important episode uh, about the resurrection, about what happens after Yeshua is died and ba- or is died, dies and is buried. Yeah. And we want to get into it. But um, we are Christians with Torah. We are Christians. We believe in the traditional Christian doctrines. Hence, we are reading the book of Matthew. (laughs) Uh, And we also believe that the whole Bible, from Genesis to Maps, is relevant for believers, even today, even still, right? And that includes an emphasis on the Torah. And why do we put an emphasis on the Torah? Well, because nobody else does. Praise God. We have just taking the veil off the Torah. People have all these misconceptions about what is the law, what is this, our law and grace opposed to each other, all this stuff. And we just love just you know, myth-busting all of those things that have been passed down to us and just kind of like false ideologies. And we are saying, let's just read it and let's just ta- take the opportunity to do That's Bible, it. That's what Bible, the Bible things. Is. It's just a story. In Bible ways. Uh, and then so for the last four years, the four seasons, I guess, the last first four seasons, we did the Torah portion. So if you're interested in specific Torah teachings, you can find the Torah portion you're looking for in the past, the first four seasons. And if That's you're looking incredible. for the Gospel of Matthew, uh, you can find it in this season, That's season really five. And we have interviews that are dispersed all throughout. Amen. And we should probably work on that. Maybe I should try to find a way to like put those in like a separate group so that the people can just go to interviews if they want it, all that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, I just scroll through people's podcasts and I find the one I want. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right. To be easier to have a way to search through it or something like that, you know, maybe use Google, right? Yeah. And so, like I said, today we are studying the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, it's interesting that we're headed to where we are. We just finished the Feast of Shavuot uh, this past weekend. Had an awesome event that we went to. There's a lot of uh, positive things happening in the Tampa Two Bay gather, region. Yeah. Um, Over 100 churches. Yeah, man. All getting together to celebrate God I know. on the day, right? No controversy, no fighting. I know, it was just good. Just unity. It was good. At least I didn't hear about any. I'm pretty sure I'm going to keep Two it that gather, way. yes. So we're going to read uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 1 through 20 today. All right. And I'm going to kick it off with verses 1 through 7. Uh, My title is End of the Sabbath. That's right. Or Jesus is Risen. That's right. I should have two titles there. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn, 
Toward the first day of the week came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, lo, I have told you. There you go. Wow. So uh, we've got a couple couple characters entering the scene here. The first one is Mary Magdalene, right? It says, uh, on the first day of the week came a Mary Magdalene. And then it says, and the other Mary. Interesting. Now, we talked about the other Mary in chapter 27 very briefly as well. Uh, in verse 61, it says that Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb, right? Um, and the question we had then was, who yeah, is this? Matthew uh, twenty-seven fifty-six, among which was Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. That's right. And the mother of Zebedee's children. Right. Um, but what verse did you say? I said 61, right? So it's also 57. Oh, yeah, there you go. That's, that's yeah. good. That's good. And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary yeah. sitting over against the sepulcher. So, yeah. So we have this other Mary. Now, it's an odd way, if somebody were to be referring to Yeshua's mother, to say the other Mary. They would just say Mary, the mother of Jesus, right? And I do wonder, where is Mary, the mother of Jesus, maybe, in this? Maybe it's because it's a song. And then along comes Mary. But which one? Well, I'm starting to think that, like, you know, the name Judah is a very popular Jewish name at this time, right? It means to weep. <laughs> it's an awesome name. Right? Isn't it? I don't know. Does it Mary mean to weep? Oh, Mary. I was going to say Judah. To I was mourn. like, I thought Judah meant praise. No, no, Mary. Yeah. I think it means to weep. Uh, Miriam? Yeah, I don't know. So so Miriam is the actual Hebrew name, but obviously we've translated it as Mary. Really? That's interesting. But it seems... <laughs> no, that is you a... acted like you didn't know that. I didn't know that. No way. Miriam. I did not know that. Yeah, Miriam. Wow. See, you learn something every day. Yeah. No, if I don't know, I'm going to tell you. Oh, okay. There you go. So Miriam <laughs> is, is the name. So Mary is how we translate it into English. And we have like a ton of Marys. So many Marys, we're having trouble keeping track of which Mary is which. Right? Yeah, drop of the sea, bitterness, and beloved. Right. And, and so, okay, that's the, name, the meaning of the name? From the Hebrew, Miriam or Miriam, yeah. Drop of the sea, bitterness, and beloved. Oh, good. That's very positive, positive name to name your daughter. <laughs> I'm going to name her Bitterness. Oh, no, I don't like that. So this Mary, as we you showed us in verse 56, is yeah. the mother of James and Joseph, right? So this is Jacob and Joseph. And it just so happens that Jesus is said to have four brothers. We talked about in Mark, what, 6? I think Mark 6, 3. He has four brothers, James or Jacob, Joseph, Judah and Simon, and then he has sisters. That's right. Okay, so it just so happens that this Mary also has two sons with two of the names of Jesus' brothers. So I'm trying to figure out, I right? Because our bullet point here says the other Mary was not Jesus' mother. Right. And I don't know how we know that, but it does seem like it's not, because otherwise they'd just say 
Mary, the mother of Jesus. It's interesting. Yeah, they probably would include her. Right. And so it says she could have been the wife of Cleopas, which we find that uh, an example of that Mary in John chapter 19, verse 25, or she may have been Jesus' aunt, the mother of James and John. Again, all of these names, like the name Jacob, the name Judah. I don't know if you've ever met any Greek folks, but like even in my family, the Greek side of my family, it's they went um, George Nicholas, and then the next son would be Nicholas George. And they literally flipped the names back and forth every generation. George Nicholas, Nicholas George, George Nicholas, Nicholas George. Interesting. And even on my dad's side of the family, they had Manuel Jose and Jose Manuel. Manuel Jose, Jose So I got Manuel. a Josiah Nicholas, so he has a son. It could be Nicholas Josiah. There you go. See? Probably not. You, only time will tell. <laughs> but my point being that there is, uh, it's not f- a far reach to say that these people just happen to all have similar names or the same names because this is something that culturally happens a lot. Right. Good point. And a lot of them would have nicknames. So just like Peter's, his name is Simon. Well, so is every, you know, half the other Jewish guys that are walking around in that day. You know, at least maybe 25% of them (laughs) are all named Simon. So what do they call them? They call them the Rock. So like Nicodemus was Peter. Nick and Knight. Again, Nicodemus, no. what, what, what is the Hebrew name for that? I don't know. What is the equivalent? Because that's clearly like a Greek or, or Latin form of the name. But he's a priest. Yeah, absolutely. Or no, he's a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee, that's true. All right, so Jesus was resurrected on the first day of the week. Let's just take a moment to recognize the Lord's Day. <laughs> yeah, that's true, the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day. You know, they talk about him being, you know, suffered, died, and was buried on Friday, I don't know how you get three days and three nights out of that, but you don't. I mean, I think most people put the timeline as a Wednesday, you know, evening, and then resurrects on the sh- on. The I think there's a calendar that fits that. Agreed. But some would say, well, you know, a day doesn't have to be 24 hours. That's the discrepancy. I think that they're trying to bring. Well, up. and there's also the idea that it says the third day, right? Right. So he says raises on the third day, Friday, first day, Saturday, second day, Sunday. I guess because he said like, like Joe and like three days and three nights in right. the whale. That's just... where it comes from. Is the three days and three nights. So that's so you don't get three days and three nights from saying the third day. You get it from the sign of Jonah. Right. Which there's some interesting stuff to talk there about. Is. Yeah, he mentions Jonah, so he gives some credibility. Yeah. Just like he mentions the prophet Daniel. You know where Jonah went, right? Jonah went to Spain. Did you know that he was on his way to Tarshish, all the way down the Mediterranean Sea to the, like where the Strait of Gibraltar is? I think I've heard of that. That's how far the gospel was supposed to go. That's right. Even with the Apostle Paul. There's even some that think that Yeshua went that far. I'm not going to get sidetracked on that, though, because that's a fascinating you know, discussion, but mm, not man. anything Ooh. relevant to what we're doing today. <laughs> so another bullet point here that's interesting is that there was an earthquake when Jesus died and when he rose from the dead. Right? And we can find, obviously, the one right here in uh, verse 1 and 2, or, chapter, or verse 2 in chapter 28. And the other earthquake that happened when he died um, happened somewhere between verses 45 and 56 there. I could find it for you. I did it last night, but it's there. Trust me. So uh, verses 3 and 4, his countenance was like lightning. Whose countenance? This is the angel, right? Yeah. So the, the angel's countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. Who are the keepers? Maybe it was the grounds people or, I mean, the soldiers. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. yeah we, the ones we, guarding the tomb. We do refer to the, the those guys later as the watch, right? Right. The guards. 
So the appearance of angels often produced fear. We can find um, examples of this in the beginning of the book of Matthew, uh, but also in Judges 13, uh, verses 19 and 20. Uh, if you go through and you look at the examples of angels appearing to humans and giving a message, they almost always start with, fear not, right? Yeah, that's true. Don't be afraid. And don't worship me. <laughs> I'm just an angel. Right. And so the guards are probably battle-hardened soldiers, but they have never witnessed anything like this. And I can probably attest that, like, if you've been fighting men, but then, like, this thing pops up. I know. I mean, that's a whole other ball of... In the spirit. You oh, know, yeah. That has power. Right. Can roll stones. and Yeah, I know. It's, it's, wow. That's another thing I found was interesting. He's sitting on the stone, yeah, right? right? They get to him and, mm-hmm. and... Anyway, so 5 and 7 says, And the angel answered and said unto the woman... Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. So the angel who announced the good news of the resurrection to the women gave them four messages. I now, know. Now, it was, this was... You found this, or was this in like the commentary? I, I use the uh, I use the study study Bible. Yeah, I thought this ESD was fascinating. And the Life Application Bible It's yeah. a real good Bible to get Life yeah. Application to develop these outlines. I, yeah. I think through osmosis, I've developed your love for like concise, clear points. You yeah, know? Like nice. Like I, I know. know. There's like four I know. points. You know, I like that. So point number one, the the, the the message number one is fear not. So the reality of the resurrection brings joy, not fear. When you're afraid, remember the empty tomb. This is actually a truth. Yeah, like, man, I don't want to die. But, like, what... They're going to put me in the ground. What could we possibly be afraid of? The tomb's empty. The dark. (laughs) I mean, knowing that that we have resurrection. Being put in a coffin. That we have a God on our side. Okay, all right. Well, never mind. Clearly, you have a whole list. That's not me. I've just talked with people that they see they don't want to be in a coffin and all cooped up and they got claustrophobia and they, you know, they have, like, dreams of being in a coffin underground and they're still alive. I know. It's very troubling. It is very troubling. That's a nightmare. But think about the resurrection. Buried and this alive. is the point. Like when you when you have fear, right here, what does it say? Remember the t- the empty tomb. The tomb is empty. You're not in the tomb. You're not in the grave under the ground, right? That's true. So uh, message number two is he is not here. <laughs> Another great point, right? Jesus is not dead and is not to be looked for among the dead. He is alive with his people. <laughs> That's pretty cool. It is. Message number three is come see, which I think the chosen has like a shirt or like like a bunch of their stuff says come and see, right? Because some versions say come and see. So come see. The women could check the evidence themselves. The tomb was empty then, and it is empty today. The resurrection is a historical fact. Wow. And then it says, message number four, go quickly and tell. So they were to spread the joy of the resurrection, and we too are to spread this great news. I know. Um, Go quickly and tell. So, um, what can we gather from these, this message, right? So, Jesus' resurrection is the key to the Christian faith. And then, wow. and then, and then why? And so, we've got five points. Yeah, we do. For why Jesus' resurrection is the key to the Christian faith. Those are good. All right? So, number one, just as he promised, Jesus rose from the dead. We can be confident that he will accomplish everything else he has promised. This, to me, is like 
drop the mic. Yeah. I think about Abraham and how the writer of Hebrews talks about Abraham and that the thing about Abraham that was special was not just that he believed that God had the special intention toward him, right, to fulfill his promise, right. but he also believed that he was able to do it. How did he prove that? Through the binding of Isaac, right? He proved that he had the faith that God could keep the promises that he made because of the binding of Isaac. In this case, if Yeshua tells us over and over and over again through the book of Matthew, I'm going to be persecuted, they're going to crucify me, and on the third day I'm going to rise. Yeah. And he says it at least four times. At least. Even in Matthew, it's like three times. No, I'm talking in Matthew, I think it's four times. Maybe three times. He lets them know and they still didn't get it. They didn't. But now we have the benefit of hindsight and we can say, well, he said it before it happened. And then it happened, just like he said, hey, to sort of prove to you that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins, right? Because which is easier, for me to say your sins are forgiven or for right. me to tell this man to get up and walk? Yeah. I feel like it's the same thing with the resurrection, right? Is it easier for him to say your sins are forgiven or is it for him to actually get up out of the grave? Clearly, the more difficult task is to get up out of the grave. Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm. So... What I think this does is it adds a tremendous amount of credibility to the testimony of Yeshua. Bar none. Period. We were never meant to die or get sick and all that. Right. So the tomb is empty. So Jesus' bodily resurrection shows us that the living Christ is ruler of God's eternal kingdom, not a false prophet or an imposter. How do we know this of a surety? Simple. Because he now has the credibility of the resurrection. I got a good resource for anybody that wants to check it out. Okay. Josh McDowell, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Okay, Josh McDowell. Evidence That Demands a Verdict. He has a revised version. It's really, really good. One of the things that uh, I noted in there was he said that there's more written about Jesus than any Roman emperor. So that's kind of cool. And that's a book you can get on what, Amazon? Yeah. Josh McDowell, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. There's a revised copy. Yeah. All right, so number three, uh, we can be certain of our future resurrection because he was resurrected. Death is not the end, and eternal future life awaits us. Whew, man. What's cool is I had a young lady in my group last night that was very touched by that point. She's just, just like, wow, I mean, that's really cool, you know? Like, I know. Like, we have a surety. I think of the full assurance of faith. But why do we have full assurance of faith? Because he got up out of the grave. I, it, okay, so I think at the time of Yeshua, people dealt with death more intimately. Um, you know, the, the way that people did things is they had a tombs, they had a system where of a family tomb, and then they would lay the person in the tomb, and they'd come right. back a year later after the person's decomposed, yeah. and they'd collect their bones, and they'd put it in an ostuary, and yeah. then usually there was another level to the tomb, right? And they put it in the bottom. Right. So they're dealing with the physical reality of people's dead bodies. Right. We today outsource all of that. We have people for that. Right now, maybe we've encountered a dead body or we've dealt with a dead body, but I have, you know, I could probably count on one hand the number of times I've actually seen a dead body, right? Personally, and it crossed my mind like, what would it be like if this person who's on display in this casket would just like got up? Now, I asked everybody in my group last night, have you ever witnessed that happening? Somebody's been dead for five days, seven days, or whatever, three days, and they got up. And the answer in my group was nobody had ever witnessed that. No, I haven't. No one. 
Well, I'm thinking that at the time of Yeshua, no one had also witnessed that same thing. Because death in the physical form really seems to be this final thing. We, we could, again, we could count. Enoch, right, didn't die, right? Lazarus was risen from the dead, you know. Um, uh, Elijah was Elijah's taken up in a fiery chariot. taken up in a fire. So we have these examples of a, you know, a harpozo, like a rapture of some sort, and of the resurrection of the dead. Right. But never somebody of their own power and authority getting up out of the grave. Right. And so the resurrection, I feel like in Christianity— becomes a little bit cliche. We get a little desensitized to it. Because what does it say in Romans 10? It says, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead and thou shalt be saved. Right? We've been preaching the gospel since Abraham. The resurrection of the dead is the good news. Right. That this is not the final thing. You have to believe that. You have to believe that. This is the good news. So we can be certain of our future resurrection because he was resurrected. Death is not the end, and eternal future life awaits us. I know. That is really good news. It is good news. All right, so let's keep going. Number four, the power that brought Jesus back to life is available to, uh, to us to bring our spiritual dead selves back to life. Praise God. And number five, the resurrection is the basis for the church's witness to the world. Jesus is more than just a human leader. He is the Son of God. And again, why does he have this credibility? Because he got up out of the grave. I feel like when he's on the cross, that his his uh, approval rating, right, or his his credibility meter is at an all time low. Oh yeah, right. If you're the son of God, come down off the cross. Oh, he's getting mocked, scorned. Yeah. He shut everybody up. Oh just, yeah. Just had to buy Look a little more now. time. I just need three days <laughs> to prove you wrong. I'll be right back. I like it. It only takes time to prove something wrong. I'll be back. So, anyways, I, I, I don't want to belabor the point, but I don't think that the point can be belabored enough that the resurrection is the miraculous power of God. It is available to us today, and it will happen to all of us in the future. And that's the way he designed it. Right. That's pretty cool. It is. So what else do you have on there? Uh, I think it's time for me to read. What about four and five? I did four and five. We read oh, them. that's right. You did. Yeah, you oh, did yeah, that. We read them. We just read them. Okay. So now I'm going to read chapter 28, verses 8 through 10. Cool. And then I might also read 11 through 15. Not right now, but in a second. You know? I got you. you. I got you. All right. So verses 8 through 10. Uh, it says, So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring the disciple, his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Praise God. So why did Jesus tell the disciples to go to Galilee? This was a place of significance for them. At the Last Supper, he had told them to meet him there. Matthew chapter 26, verse 32. The angels told the women at the tomb to tell the disciples to go there. Matthew 28, verse 7. Galilee was where Jesus had first called most of the men to be disciples and had given them the mission to be fishers of men. Matthew 4, 19. Also remember that Capernaum, which is just north, was his headquarters. After he left Nazareth, where he grew up, he, he made his headquarters in Capernaum. They say that 75% of Jesus' miracles and healings were in the northern kingdom. Interesting. 
something along those lines, the percentage. I'd have to go back and study it again and confirm that. But but I thought that was very, very interesting. Um, the Galilee is the northern kingdom. And Yeshua said, I only came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So there you go, and there you have it um, right there. Very interesting. Um, and he only, he, you know, he went to Jerusalem because of the feast days and to be obedient and all that. Yeah. But predominantly he was hanging out with the northern kingdom. Hmm. The Samaritan woman at the well and... I mean, you know, it's very interesting to, to, to see all these things. I mean, he even went up into, what, Tyre and Sidon, remember? That he went one, way up there, yeah, just yeah. for the Chaldean woman, yeah. which, again, is a great example of, of faith, you know? Yeah. We should all have a little bit of the Chaldean woman. He went us. up there and stirred it up. All right, it's... Do uh, you want me to read or are you going to Yeah, read? it's your turn. Okay, I will read again. So, yeah, you uh, can read Verses again. 11 through 15, the chief priests and the elders promote a lie. Yeah, it's my little title. I like to make it my own. Now. This is a good one. So, see, I always yeah. thought you took them out of the Bible. Sometimes I do. And today I'm learning. Yeah, sometimes I do. Yep. So, it says fake, in uh, fake news. Fake news. Look at it. It's back here. <laughs> it's terrible. There's I nothing mean, really, new under the sun. And this is major. Oh, it is. This is the God. Uh, God of Abraham. Well, we haven't been able. Uh, we haven't been able to trust. Governments and authorities for at least 2,000 years. <laughs> at least. And we wonder why people don't trust the government, you know? I mean, come on, you know? Here, let's just, let's just read it. So it says here, Now when they were going, uh, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while ye slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Unfortunate, huh? Wow. Faced with the reality of Jesus' resurrection, the religious leaders are forced once again... Matthew chapter 26, verses 3 through 5, to conspire together in order to preserve their religious and political influence. Matthew chapter 28, verses 11 through 15. Once again, a conspiracy takes two or more people as well. Now, the soldiers faced possible execution for dereliction of duty or guard duty, one of the most severe offenses while occupying foreign territory. In cooperating with the Jewish religious leaders, they at least have a chance to save themselves. Otherwise, they're going to be killed. So once again, you've got to remember that uh, these religious leaders told the soldiers as they paid them, we will deal with Pontius Pilate. Jesus' resurrection was already causing a great stir in Jerusalem. A group of women was moving quickly throughout the streets, looking for the disciples to tell them the amazing news that Jesus was alive. You know, it's interesting when I was thinking about this, this part anyway. We're seeing the reconciliation of Jews and Gentiles. We're telling everybody it's starting to spread now. Oh, yeah, like wildfire. Because I got to do the prayer of repentance for the Gentile church, representing them yeah, as a son of God, as, as a member of the body of Christ. You know, like, like we, we, we renounce the sins of Jeroboam. Jeroboam, see, 
is before the, the Gentile church. So that's where we had to renounce that. Right. And then it developed into, of course, they say Jeroboam developed into the modern church system we have today. Hmm. But to make a long story short, but you mean now creating like, our own holidays, yeah, all kinds and, of stuff. Oh. No, no Jewish people in your life. Jerusalem's not really the capital. What does it matter? Yeah. So, yeah. So that's interesting that that happened. Uh, the, the renouncement, the repentance of the sins of Jeroboam back in 2007 in Bethel. And then when I got to go 2015 and 16 on the water tower, uh, to renounce it and just to reiterate there in person, that was kind of cool. Yeah. So that was 2015, 16, and then 2023, on the day of Shavuot, I got to ask for repentance for all of the Gentile church for the last 2,000 years, from today to tomorrow, Wow! the repentance. Because they say that that's when the church began, was in the upper room. Right. So if that's the case, to that degree, even though it's not really true, because the church was always... Yeah, the uh, ecclesia uh, yeah, was in the wilderness. The church was in the wilderness. Well, then, wow, what an awesome opening we have now with God, that if we repent, he hears our cries, and then he heals. Right. Wow. Right. Well, we have to we have to be repentant to have reconciliation. And what we want is the reconciliation. Because if we can have a relationship with the Jewish people and have reconciliation, then you know, what's to stop Messiah from coming, you know? Just saying. It's interesting. Now, we're gonna, here's the discussion. Discuss why the sin of bribery goes against God, mm. right? Matthew chapter 28, verses 12 and 13. Well, the Bible strongly condemns the evil practice of bribery. Exodus 23, 8. And I'll, I'll have you read a verse. Exodus 23, 8. And thou shalt take no gift, for the gift blindeth the wise and perverteth the words of the righteous. Wow. And thou shalt take no gift. Gift equals a bribe, bribe equals a gift. For the gift blindeth the wise and perverteth the words of the righteous. Why don't you check out Job 15.34. That's whenever you are. Job 15.34. Looking for work, you know. Go to the book of jobs. Fifteen thirty-four. All right, it says for the company of hypocrites will be barren, and fire will consume the tents of bribery. <laughs> Don't sound good. No, I believe uh, one of the prime ministers, Ehud Olmert, was put in jail for that. I mean, the bottom line is it perverts justice. I mean, even the appearance of impropriety is, in bribery is a problem. It's like okay. You know, if somebody gives you something, they they want something in return. That could actually be a, a, a bribery. Yeah. Because, I mean, someone can bless you, like the Supreme Court Justice, you know, Clarence Thomas, you know. Or even like Netanyahu, right, with the cigars and the but, champagne. You know, it's like, do we really think he's but doing... But what kind of connection do you have, though? If you're a media mogul, then you're, you're going to want to sway the media, if you get cigars and things, I mean, you're going to want to be on there. But, I mean, as far as Clarence Thomas having, this is just one of the examples of a Supreme Court justice, but I'm not, right. I'm not criticizing him. I'm just saying that this has been brought to the light, you know. It's kind of like, okay, someone gives me a new car. They bless my family with a new car. Well, who, who is this person and what connection do I have with him? Yeah. You know. Is he? I mean, and are you now feeling? Do you now have an internal feeling of beholdenment? Do you feel like you now? So need how to do you distinguish a, a gift from, from from a bribe? 
I think it's when you give something to somebody and you want something in return. It's like a wink, wink, you know. Well, I agree, mean, agreed. Otherwise, otherwise, because because if somebody gifts me, right, like finances, or they give me money, yeah, and they're a member or something, they just put money in an envelope and hand it to me. <coughs> what relationship do that, I have with is. them? But that's a gift. I don't think you have but that that's issue. That's not a bribery because you're not in a position where you're now going to make decisions on behalf of the people that affect everyone, but now give special interest groups, you know, some sort of favor. Whereas when when you're a, a public official, right. like a judge in Clarence Thomas's case or prime minister in Netanyahu's case, the gifts are are a an unwelcome sign of of favor, right? Even though somebody may be just giving you something nice, accepting these gifts means now people will wonder, well, did they make this policy yeah, what's you know, the decision based on that? You know, and you'll I, never know. I right? would love for someone to bless me with a vacation for my family. <laughs> I don't care if it's the word is going out, folks. Right? I now. don't care if Sow it's Orlando seed. or or the Smoky Mountains or I really don't care if you gift me with a you know a vacation. I'm going to receive it. Hallelujah. So let's let's move on. That's good. That's uh, the word. Because we've got Jesus gives the great commission. I really love this. Yes. I'm going to read Matthew 28 verses 16 through 20. The great commission. Yeah. I love this. It says, uh, "Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying." All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you alway, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Amen. Wow. All right, so he has them go to Galilee. Uh, and so this says here, the 11 disciples, what do they do? And he said it, they went to Galilee. Yeah, okay? that's kind of wild. And uh, Jesus set up his headquarters in Capernaum after leaving Nazareth. The city of Capernaum was located just north of the Sea of Galilee. So it's right there on the... If I'm not mistaken, you know, they the have coast. like the original synagogue remains there. I believe they do, yeah, yeah. That you can actually, it's pretty powerful to walk in there and think... Jesus was in this, this this synagogue. Yeah, he walked in here. This is pretty uh, authentic. The Galilee region seems very nice. Supposedly, Peter's house is nearby or something. Huh. I don't know how they came up with that kind of stuff, though. You know, I mean, it would make sense. Uh, he did find him on the Sea of Galilee fishing, so Peter's house being nearby would make sense. I don't know. It's very interesting to to, to how they kind of tie that all in. You know, right? But a synagogue is pretty solid. I mean, well, and this and there's even. Um, when they find the archaeological evidence, they'll see mosaics and things that'll have like, you know, things that actually say Jesus or Christ or things like that, which usually come, you know, later um, added on to those places. But all right. So Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So where? In heaven and in earth. And what kind of power? All power. Now, the word power here is the Greek word exousia. And it means, I'm going to give you some words, privilege, force, capacity, competency, freedom, mastery, delegated influence, yeah, authority, I like that one. jurisdiction, liberty, right, and strength. Now, I've got, I've got uh, 
Delegated influence. Yeah, man. Think about this. I just got this thought. My brother Judah is always asking me, are there any other places where I could go and share? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have to say, no. Oh. But I'm believing right. that these churches would receive Judah, the yeah. Orthodox Jew, from the land of Israel to impart to them some great things about Israel and the Jewish people and their respect and the mutual respect policy. How cool would that be? It would be very cool. Now, if the pastor's open to that and it happens, you know God would be smiling. For sure. Just because it's like, I don't know. It would be revolutionary. You would break down all these things that are taboo. You'd break down all these walls. You would break down all these lies and misunderstandings and have a mutual respect. Yeah. And you could learn so much. Right. Think about it. Just ask the Jewish people about the Old Testament. If you're a Christian... We don't even have the Bible without the Jewish people. I'm just saying, you know, find some Old Testament passages and ask them about them, you know? Especially if these guys are rabbis. Yeah. Wow. What? <laughs> you know, uh, it's cool that you brought out that this is the word exousia, because there's another word that means power. Dunamis, dunamis, right? Yeah, that one's good too. It is. And, and I just want to kind of give you the idea. I was thinking about power and authority. And I heard it said once that power is, if you think of like a crossing guard or like a, a traffic cop, you know, who's out in an intersection, he's directing traffic. And power would be the ability to stop a car physically, right? So like the Hulk, right? The car's coming through the intersection, you just go like, and you stop it, right? That's power. But authority is, you know, the putting out of the hand and someone else who is in control of the car, then stopping, right? It's just, it may be a subtle difference, but... Other places mention that Jesus has all power and authority. Interesting. Dunamis and exousia. And this one, of course, is just the word exousia. Well, you know, this is what? Hmm. I don't know. I was just looking at this word. That you'll be given power. Well, and he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. His own power 1849 is Exousia. Acts, so, right? Chapter yeah, 1. Yeah, 1 7. Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? Well, he has Exousia power to do that. It is Exousia. Yeah. Hath put in his own power. Now, verse 8 says, But ye shall receive power. All right. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Well, that word power is dunamis. It is, it is dunamis. Wow. Interesting, huh? Well, I don't know what dunamis is. We won't get into that because that's just... I can the, give you the, the stuff right now. It says strength, power, ability. Uh, I want to say the, the Strong's definition is specifically miraculous power, um, ability, abundance, might, right? So it's, it's much more strength, violence, wonderful work. So this is, again, much more into the power side, whereas exousia is more of the authority. Interesting. Although both of them kind of have some overlap, right? Power and authority in this case. Um, all right. So the Father gave Jesus authority over heaven and earth on the basis that that authority, Jesus told his disciples to make more disciples as they preached, baptized, and taught. With this same authority, Jesus still commands us to tell others the good news and make them disciples 
for his kingdom. Now, I find this interesting, don't you? That Jesus' last command is what we call the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Which nations? All nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. What are we supposed to teach them? All the things that Jesus has commanded. Which commands did Jesus give? All of them. <laughs> All of the commands that Jesus gave, right? And it says, Lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Um, so Yeshua obviously is commanding us to do water baptisms as well, right? We are to do water baptisms in the name of the Godhead, and right, some refer to good. this as good. the that's Trinity. A, that's a good point. Uh, but the word Trinity is not found in the Scriptures. The proper name for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would be Godhead. And you could find it in Acts chapter 17, verse 59, Romans 1.20, and Colossians 2.9. Colossians 2.9 being my favorite, which says, The fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him bodily. Make sure that you use Acts 17.29, because that's a typo. It's not Acts 17.59, oh, right. it's Acts 17.29. You're right. Sorry. Yeah, so... But my favorite, like I said, was Colossians 2.9, being that the fullness of the God had dwelt in him bodily, right? So the description here, because people get caught up in the Greek, right? Um, and it's easy, it's easy to do that uh, when it comes to something like this because it sounds so unbelievable, right? You go to uh, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, and we get to this Greek word that means Godhead, and it's theotis, right? So th- theo or theos is what is normally used to describe God. They it's just, not Thanos? It is definitely not Thanos. Thanos is a false Thanos yeah. being, right? He's fake. Thanos is nomos. Nomos. <laughs> no more. Um, but this theotis is deity or the state of being God, Godhead. And I think it's important to recognize this because in this verse, it clearly, clearly says, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Right. All. F- 100% God. All 100% man. The fullness. 100% spirit. Of theotes, whatever right. you want to say that means. That's deep. Bodily. I think Colossians that's awesome. 2.9, you like that, huh? I really do. It's like a superhero. It is. He is. You know, Gaul means Avenger. Right. Right, right. The kinsman redeemer. You know, he, um, I remember one you time I was, out, I was out by the pool. It was Passover season. Getting be close to Passover, I think it was. I was just studying. But God, but the Holy Spirit was like, Jesus is the closest relative you will ever have or ever know. Right. So th- so God became a relative to us through the Son of God. Which, you know what, when you say that. I'm just saying, well, well, well there's the Father, the Son. But I'm saying that for him to send his Son. Right. He represents the Father, right? But you really know the Son better than the Father. I mean, I'm just saying that. I don't know. It's like the, it was the Son that walked the earth. So well, think he, of, he's from the Father. We're joint heirs with Christ, right? So we become part of the family. And and, and I don't want to belittle Yeshua by saying we become his siblings, right? But we do. We become joint heirs with him. And so that close relationship is what you're mentioning. Are you closer with your parents or your siblings? You know, usually people are closer with their siblings, especially if they're close in age, right? Well, think about it like this, though. This is where it gets to be very, very interesting. So 
Satan was a son. <laughs> That's right. A bad son. Yeah, Elohim. So he sends his only begotten son to undo all that mess that the bad son did. That's right. And that we would follow the good son, not the bad son, but right. because, because we would have that choice. Right. So all, thank you. I just got a download just now. All the father wants is for us to participate with him and everything that he has for us. Cause that's his desire. That's his goal. Right. You know, it's like if my, my, you know, son comes to me for something or he really wants to be with me, he wants to me to help him. It just brings joy. You know, like just, I had a brake light out. Oh. I said, I'll tell you what, you go get that brake light and I'll change it out for you. I'll nice. You. So you changed the brake light. I changed out the brake How, light. That's dunamis power. It is true, but I, didn't, I had no <laughs> idea what I was doing. I just said, I'm going to do it. it. But I, lo- I looked at it. I, I saw the two screws, the two bolts, and I said, okay, take those out. This will slide out, and yeah. it'll go right back in like a Lego. That's right. Adult Lego. That's it. And so I put it in, and it didn't work. I'm like, man. Hmm. So I turned the bulb around and there put it in. There you go. Bing, bing. And I'm like, I am the man. Just like that. I am the you man. You the man. And I put it back in and he's good to go so i'm teaching him you know to obey the laws of the land That's you don't right. want to get pulled over don't no, procrastinate yeah, yeah, yeah. so he has brake lights yeah you also don't want to get rear-ended you know and then of course you know if, if my son say hey you know can can you put 20 dollars in my account or Aww, i'm yeah. able to do it That's and it right. feels good Great and they say God. thank you that's right you know the text says thank you is priceless Aww. so i'm just saying that ryan you know i don't want to get bogged down with this life yeah yeah because God wants me to enjoy it with him. So this is where I'm catching myself to find that place of rest. Yeah. Where you're not worried about things. You're not all worked up. You're just like, you're in a calm state and, and then things develop around you, but you're in a better, you're better, better mindset. Yeah. Cause he wants us to participate. So as he opens up these doors and you've seen them, how excited should we be to have his heart? Yeah. And to, to put that onto the Jewish people, you know? I mean, you to know, think about our own place, Abate Tehila Israel over there, we have a three-month visa, mm-hmm. and I get to go over there for three weeks, no longer than, no more than, I would never go more than 40 days because of the situation with Moses. Yeah, 39. But I would go for a couple weeks or a month, 30 days. But I'm just saying that doing this podcast as an audio, a video, I'm so excited about what the Father has for us. I, I don't have words to express the the anticipation, the excitement. Yeah. That it's like a theme park for God, you know. Yep. To be in a room full of pastors having dinner was like like a theme park for me with God. Yeah. I've always wanted to hang out with pastors and be with pastors, you know. So now he's opening up these doors. I don't even know what to do with it. Now, I'm not saying I had some preconceived ideas because I really didn't, but it really is happening and I can feel it. Praise God. It's, it is the kingdom of God. I mean, when you expand to other churches and you have friends and you make connections and you can help, you can assist, or I know a guy or I know a guy, you know, Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden you're doing something together that can bless each other right? because of what we have together. You know, I mean, if I hear a, you know, a testimony of somebody that's got a prayer ministry and they've been given a church. When you say given, the the property, the building, free and clear. You might want to check the box and say. Given. I need to hang out with this person. Yeah, man. Because they're doing something Favor right. Favor of God. They're doing something right, right, and it'll rub off on you. That's right. You're only as good as those you surround yourself Praise with. God. You're only as good as those you surround yourself with. That's right. So that's why I want to surround myself with good people. Yep. You know, good Jews. Yeah. <laughs> good Christians, <laughs> right? Know, 
So not to, I want to circle back to Yeshua being the closest relative that you'll ever have or ever know. Because sometimes I feel like we say things and we're like, well, I don't even like my relatives, so why would I care if he's the... <laughs> uh, that can be tough. But so but like, what do we just read for Shavuot? Listen, you can pick your friends. You cannot pick your relatives. But in this case, we get to pick them, right? We get to choose Hopefully, them. Hopefully, yeah. This but, is good, yeah. But what do we read for Shavuot? Ruth. Ruth, the book of Ruth. Okay. Oh, yeah. that was so good. you have the story of Boaz and Ruth. And I'm not going to get into the whole story, but at the end of the story, the point is this. Elimelech dies in Moab, where he had gone during the famine with his wife. Right. He dies there. Naomi comes. Ruth comes with her. They're in the land. Ruth meets Boaz. Sparks fly. But it's not that simple, right? Because there is laws of inheritance within the kingdom of God. Right. There had to be a kinsman redeemer. Right. Well, there was somebody that was technically a closer relative than Boaz to yeah, Naomi. But didn't want it. But it would have put, what did he say? The rest of my inheritance at risk. Right. Boaz didn't seem concerned about that, did he? Not really. Not really. I wonder, I wonder what that technicality was. Though. What were they so worried about? Well, I think it's because then the descendants of Ruth now have claim to part of the inheritance of that guy. Right, because now instead so of just splitting he, the inheritance, basically he wasn't willing to see the grafting in process. He wasn't willing to to divide his inheritance to his children more to give something to someone else. So because of that, Boaz steps in and says, "I, being the next closest, will redeem it." Now this is important, right? Because who has the right? The close relative has the right. So if you're the closer relative, yeah. if you want the property of Elimelech, right, you have the right to redeem it. You still have to pay for it. Right, you still have to you know pay the bride price or whatever that is to enrich whoever it is that is you're getting it from. So it's not like somebody's getting uh, a bad shake on it. But it's an important recognition that this is why Yeshua has the right over us. Right, he is that kinsman redeemer. That's true. So because of of what he has done as our kinsman redeemer, we are now redeemed by the one who has the right. Because what does it say until Shiloh comes? Well, what does Shiloh mean? Shiloh means him to whom the right belongs. So it's Shiloh, the one who the right belongs, that redeems us from the wages of sin and death. And I just think it's pretty cool because he is our kinsman redeemer. You know, somebody had a shirt on last night. I'm good that, glad they had a shirt. Did everybody else not have a shirt on? They had a shirt on. <laughs> and on the shirt it said, Oh God. Yeah. O-W-E. Oh, oh my God. It said, oh, God. No, it said, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, Well, it's a play on words. Right. Like taking his name in vain. No. Or I owe God. Yeah. You know, I feel indebted to him. I feel like I owe him something because yeah. I was bought with a price. I feel like I owe him I owe him my life. Yeah. How much I want to give is up to me, but I feel like I owe God. What's wrong with that? Is that a sin? Yeah, it took me a minute, too. I had, it took me a while. I was, like, trying to figure it out. Like, what is that? Because it was hard Most to read. Most of the time, I don't even pay attention. Yeah. But oh my God! Yeah, I owe him. Uh, I owe I owe him. So think about it. So how do you how do you how do you pay it back? But through your life, you don't. He just wants us to participate with him. I can't tell you enough, Doctor Michael Heiser's book. What does God want? That's a good book. It's a it's not just it's philosophy. Not even a big book. It's not even no, a big book. It's, it's a little it's book. It's simple, but yeah. he he wants us to participate with him. So we got to look at our life and say, are we tuning into, you know. All right, I'm going to go there. Just this one little nugget here. All right, give us. I'm a going there. I, yeah, I, got, I can't help it. I, you got, I have a, you to, got like a minute. You I have. Go to, there. I, I got. I got more I, bullet points, and you then know, you got some points. I just, I just, I have to do this. 
Where are we going? Because it's personal. It's really personal for me. It's I take it personal. You know. I take it so personal. And I love these prophecies. Oh, they're good. And I'm finding them, and I want to share them, and people, they're like a chihuahua, you know? Yeah. Like. That's one of the things about this Isaiah 62 fast that had been going on for the last 21 days. The prophecies, I was just reading them over and over so and over, powerful. meditating. So anyway, it's kind of like the book of Hosea. So I'm in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8. And I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. So Yikes. he divorced the northern kingdom, but not the southern kingdom. He divorced Ephraim, the northern kingdom, but not Judah, right? And it's kind of like all this stuff happens in the book of Hosea. Your littles will be dashed to pieces. You'll be scattered. You'll be in the Assyrian captivity. But then he goes, you know, and I will betroth you to me three times. Like there's good news coming. So, wow, I just read about a divorce. What a bummer. But check this out. Verse 15. Man. It says right here, and I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. Right there. It's right there. It's right there. Think about it. It's the good shepherd. Anyway, um, it's going to go on to say some other things, but I thought, wow, and I'll give you pastors according to mine heart. So God's heart is towards the Jewish people. That's right. So anyway, it goes on to talk about, because of that, it, it talks about Judah and Israel coming back together, you know, these people that are coming out of the nations. But yeah, I thought that was very interesting. I'll raise up shepherds after mine heart. Who are going to feed you with what? Teaching. So here's, <laughs> here's a teaching in these verses we're reading, mean, uh, by which disciples of Jesus are continually transformed in order to become like Christ. <sighs> now, this is an important point because... Everyone who takes on Yeshua becomes an ambassador for him. That's right. Period. It's, that's ministers. what the Bible says. It says you are an ambassador. The question is, are you a good one or not? That's right. And when it comes to making disciples, one of the things you have to realize is whether you realize it or not, you are making disciples because more is caught than taught. And okay? Beit is an embassy. Listen, more is caught than taught. So you could be preaching and teaching all these things, but how are you living? Right. Do you have a right action? Right. Because people that you disciple are going to end up like you. They're not going to necessarily just listen to your teaching and become right. like that. Right? And that's an important point. Now, last bullet point, and then we're going to get on to our, our closing here. It says, The Old Testament prophecies and genealogies in the book of Matthew present Jesus' credentials for being king of the world. Not a military or political leader, as the disciples had originally hoped, but a spiritual king who can overcome all evil and rule in the heart of every person. If we refuse to serve this king faithfully, we are disloyal subjects fit only to be banished from the kingdom. We must make Jesus king of our lives and worship him as our king, as well as our Savior and Lord. And to that I say, Amen. 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 So what two points did you get out of Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 20? I feel I like we should do the Hazak, don't you think? That almost, doesn't it <laughs> no, feel like that? That was brought up in Tom's group. I said, <laughs> I said, no, I don't think we should do that. And, and uh, somebody said, well, 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 by whose authority? I said, mine. Oh, <laughs> Exusia. Exusia. 
But anyway, no, it's 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 pretty cool. All right, please, your two points. Uh, my two points are this: number one, without the resurrection of Yeshua, you don't have Christianity. That's right. That's number one. That's a good one. Without the resurrection of Yeshua, you don't have Christianity. And on behalf of the group, Christian group, New Song, I have a title of a song. And I just have to say it because it's very inspiring. Sure. You can't keep a good man down. <laughs> That's right. Go check out the song. It's so powerful. Well, there you go. You can't keep a good man down. I mean, there you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. So my point, I actually have three points. Well, there you go. You just like the, just like a fry. Little point, yeah, just, just like a fry. I need two points. <laughs> I got three. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Two points. And I love it when people go. And you know what I got out of it? No, it's based on a consensus. Right. And we want a point. Right. We don't need a, a I guess sermon. Says, what two points did you get out of? So I, I guess I got to change that. You need to based upon a. I got to bring it back. Well, you got to bring back the concise, clear point. I know. You make it like a Twitter thing, like for the book of 180 Acts, characters that. or less. I'm going to screen people. That's what I'm going to do. They're going to be a screener, like it's before a live studio audience. Nah, not really. No. All right. So number one, mine was a lot like yours. The resurrection of Yeshua is the single most important event in human history. Yes. And I don't even think there's a close second. What if it's 2030? That's going to really so be So that's like, going to be my point number three. We'll I'm just saying, if, if if Yeshua came at the end of the fourth day and was born, maybe his death is the end of the second day. Right. Man, oh, my gosh. I don't know, man. I really like that. What do you think? <laughs> so uh, my second point was point number three under why Jesus' resurrection is key to the Christian faith, and that is this. We can be certain of our future resurrection because he was resurrection, re- resurrected. Death is not the end, and eternal future life awaits. Um, I love this because I think having full assurance of our faith is a very important piece of what we do. I like that. And then my point number three was something that Tammy came up with, and it was on the bullet point at the bottom of page two. It says, faced with the reality of Jesus' resurrection, the religious leaders are forced once again to conspire together in order to preserve their religious and political influence. She made a tweak to the statement, and she said this. She said, faced with the reality of Jesus' return, his second coming, today the religious leaders are forced once again to conspire together in order to preserve their religious and political influence. Isn't that the truth? And I just... He's not even mentioned. All I want is to get on to Yeshua's agenda. That's what I want. He's coming back, and I want to be the faithful servant, right? The one that is... Locked and cocked, ready for whatever instructions he's bringing. Not one that it's trying to be like, oh, are you sure that's how you want to do this, Lord? You know, like, mm-mm. that's not going to fly the second round. You know, how there will about, be no crucifixion. Let's let, let me ask you a question now that I, I've been really thinking about this. All right. If Yeshua came at the end of the fourth day and was born, went into the fifth day and the sixth day. Is it possible that the day of the Lord is just before the seventh day. Could the day of the Lord be the beginning of the seventh day, which Meaning is the seventh thousandth year? He comes to rule and reign. But what I'm wondering is that, is there going to be the day of the Lord is dark and dreary? 
the blood that's on his garments won't be his own. Um, so would it be the end of the sixth day? Yes. And then we go into the seventh and then the day of the Lord. Because here's the thing. It's the end of the day or is it the beginning of the day? I know, I know. It's it's. it's well, to your point, this, I think this is an important point because I think in the in the which we should do a whole videos series on Messiah 2030, but in that supposition, they're saying the thousand-year reign of Christ is the day of the Lord. So it's Interesting. A, a, a day That's is, is a thousand saying. years and a thousand so years So the end day. of the sixth day, so he comes back years to execute judgment right. and vengeance and sets things up for the thousand-year reign. So your question is more significant than like, is he do it in the morning or in the evening? It's yeah. Does he do it at the beginning of the thousand years yeah. or at the end of the thousand years? Or the end of the sixth day. Or, right, or is it the end yeah. of the sixth day? Right, right. This is some good stuff, it man, is. I tell you. It's a lot to think about. Well, you close us All out. Right. God, wow, our brains are spinning, Lord. <laughs> Thank you so much for just a wonderful study of Matthew, Lord, as we close out the book of Matthew, and our hearts are full. We're so thankful uh, for the resurrection, God. We're thankful for the faith that you have implanted in each of our hearts, God, the saving knowledge of your Son, God, and we just we just praise you and thank you that uh, we would merit in whatever way we have uh, through being chosen by you to have this faith in us, God. And we're just so grateful. And so we just praise you and thank you for it in Yeshua's name. Amen. 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 All right. Wow. Well, keep the conversation going in the comments. Uh, you can email me at ryan at twopraise.net. And, uh, you know, if you need anything from us, please let us know. We'll get you whatever resources we can. Bless you. Have a great week.